Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world for you, your partners and your customers. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those inspiring people who are making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how they're using circular principles to create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Now, on to this episode. In today's episode, I'm talking to Joe Godden, who founded Ruby Moon, a not-for-profit eco and ethical activewear brand in 2011. Joe's a designer, a lingerie and swimwear specialist, also a mother and activist. Joe loves to swim and the beach is her favourite place. Joe believes the fashion industry has the most substantial potential to positively impact the social and environmental state of our planet and that circular economy manufacturing is how we'll get there faster. After 25 years working in the fashion field, Joe decided she wanted to be part of the solution, not the problem, and so she started Ruby Moon in Brighton on the south coast of the UK. Their high-quality fabric cleans up the oceans, and 100% of the profits are used for microloans, supporting women entrepreneurs in 14 developing countries. Joe's also involved in circular economy activities in Brighton, helping to inspire people to think differently about fashion. And she believes we should think of ourselves as citizens, not consumers. And good morning, Joe, and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Good morning, and thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you on. And I first heard about your business, Ruby Moon. Uh, last year 2018 listening to the Possibilities Club podcast and hearing you interviewed and being really impressed by the circular approach that you've taken which we'll explore in a minute and also the social investment part of your business which I'd also like to know more about. So perhaps we could start by um, asking you to tell us a bit about your business and how you started it. Yeah, sure. So Ruby Moon is a uh, social enterprise. Um, we're the world's only, and I say that as far as we as we know, we're the world's only not-for-profit swimwear and activewear company. And we're based in Brighton. And we adhere to all of the circular economy principles and also um, many of the sustainable development goals. And how did you come to start it in the first place? What what drove you to start your own business and and uh, and do it this way? So um, for more than twenty years, I'd worked in international business uh, in the swimwear and lingerie trade. Um, so I'd seen a lot of different um, scenarios about how to run businesses. And to be honest with you, I didn't like what I saw particularly in terms of um, 
how garments were manufactured in the Far East and were so far away from the end consumers in terms of lifestyle, in terms of working conditions. And I wanted to actually form a company to show how this business should be run in the correct way um, and try to bring products to life have a benefit rather than degrade either the environment or working conditions. Having started my career in the um, in lingerie manufacture, even though all of our factories were in the UK, the company still had a policy of um, it was a you know an international company, and its policy was to start up in areas where there was already a kind of um, either a gov- government subsidy or some geopolitical factor that was pushing down wage costs. From the company's point of view, that meant people were desperate for work and, and um, you know, they didn't have to pay as much as, uh, as they might have done. So it's great that you're, you decided to prove that it can be done differently. Yeah, and, 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 and unfortunately, since the 1980s, you know, since you had that um, the experience, the downward pressure on price has become more and more extreme Mm. and people who pay that price are the people sitting you know doing 12-hour shifts without and that's just not even when they get overtime pressure they're doing 12-hour shifts on a normal day and then there's you know no toilet breaks you feel under you know there's Mm. really all sorts of exploitation including sexual exploitation trafficking, modern slavery involved in those supply chains. And I'm afraid, I have to say, that even the audits um, that Western companies insist on, um, there's a lot of fabrication going on there. Uh, The auditors turn up when they know, the factories know that they're going to be coming. So, of course, they're going to make everything perfect for those visits. And what you have left is, um, you know, there's a lot of corruption in Asia. And what we think we're getting is not what we're getting. Yes, I agree. And there was a piece on Radio 4 this morning talking about clothing manufacturer coming back to Leicester and saying that there's quite a um, big growth in demand for very ethical um, manufacturer with high quality working conditions and you know well trained workers and so on, and that's growing fast. But there's still this is- issue with the dark factories, where people aren't employed, you know even even legally, and so they're they're still struggling with that. And it seems to be the difference is fast fashion, which is all based on lowest price, is most susceptible to. Um, you know, ending up with long supply chains where there's not transparency. And it, and as you say, um, it's not easy to inspect, particularly if you've got lots of different factories. Um, you know, how, how on earth do you inspect them all? And if you outsource the inspection, then that's another point of potential for um, things to be hidden and so on. So... In terms of your manufacture, then, how have, you, how have you made sure that you're not at risk of that happening? So um, we only manufacture within Europe. 
and that makes sense also because our our fabric is European. So in terms of reducing our carbon emissions, um, for instance, we have 42% less carbon emissions per swimsuit or, or garment um, because we only manufacture within Europe. Um, but there was also obviously an ethical reason to keep manufacturing local as well. So we predominantly sew in the UK and Spain. Um, and that's because I need to see those factory conditions regularly. And I need to know that, um, that every worker that's involved in our supply chain is fairly treated, um, receives a living wage and um, is not being exploited. That's good. And are you noticing interest from your customers in that side of things? You know, how much do you think that approach drives people towards your business? So it's quite interesting because, as you know, um, different things drive different people. And some people come to us um, as a um, as a client or, a con you know, our um, end customer because they're involved or they're really interested by the environmental impact of what we do. Other people are really interested in the ethical impact of our supply chain. And then other customers come to us because they love what we're doing in terms of the micro loans for women. So we've got quite a different spread of, um, I don't like to use the word consumers because I think we need to use the word citizens now rather mm. than consumers because that makes more of a, an impact and makes you take more responsibility um, because as consumers, as you know, we need to take more specific actions about what we're buying and what we're eating and what we're doing with our lives. Yes, I agree. And I think being able to tell a good story about what you've bought, you know, like like you can do if you've bought something from a farmer's market because you've usually had a conversation with the farmer and that gives you a story to to tell to somebody that, you know, is either eating the food with you or when you're saying, you, you know, you've been to the farmer's market and got this cheese or this bread or or whatever and I think more people are now wanting to feel better about why they bought what they bought and I think also the story and knowing that you're making a positive difference shouldn't encourage you to buy more of that stuff but it's perhaps more likely to make you treasure it and you know and feel engaged with it instead of just treating it like fast fashion where, you know, I've, I've heard these youngsters being interviewed when they're saying that if they've worn something and posted a selfie on Instagram or whatever, they won't wear it again because now it's now it's out there. So this kind of attachment to, to what you're buying um, and um, a more thoughtful purchase, I suppose, you know, do I really need this? Am I going to get good use out of it? Is you know, am I happy with the way it's being made? All that sort of stuff. It does does seem to be um, a growing trend. Are, are you finding that? Oh yes, definitely. And um, the whole sort of issue around valuing um, your clothing 
um, is very much at the forefront of the sustainable fashion movement. Um, if you love, you know, you should only buy, be buying something if you absolutely love it and you're going to get um, hundreds of wares out of it. Um, we just really do not have the resources to carry on producing garments the way we are and and you treating them as just, you know, just frankly, they're disposable, as you say, one wear and it's off and it's in the bin. And these these garments aren't even being, you know, sometimes they're ending up in landfill. Mm. Uh, there's absolutely no reuse consideration going on at all or even re-wearing. Um, so there has to be a change in our consciousness about how we treat um, the, our clothing, not just our clothing, basically everything we can, that we're buying and consuming right now. There has to be a change um, in the psychology of it all, I suppose. Yes, I agree. Coming back and, to... And yeah, and that's also really why when we develop, you know, make our clothing, we know that our garments are going to last and last and last. You know, we consider the stitching. We make sure it's not going to fall apart. And our fabric is certified to be um, twice as strong as other nylon lycras on the market. And that's to chlorine, to sunlight, to salt water. So we know that our garments are going to last a really long time. And that's what people are buying into. And if you consider it as a price per wear almost, um, some people say sustainable fashion is expensive, but when you look at it like that, price per wear, it isn't. In fact, it's a much better investment. And you're not polluting, you know, waterways and, and our water supply, and you're not creating um, misery in the supply chain. So that's the economics of it, is that it's a price per wear. Yes, that's a, that's a good point. And it would be interesting to see maybe some studies done. You know, I often wonder about things like the um, the witch report and so on. I was thinking about white goods and so on, uh, where, where they're testing how well they perform in terms of washing your clothes. And maybe they'll look at the energy consumption and so on. But what about going back? three five years down the line to see whether those machines are still working and you know have you had to have a repair and was that covered under warranty what's it actually costing you you know you might have bought this expecting it to last a good 10 years and if you you know if we go back to the 1970s you'd have bought something a washing machine expecting it to last 25 or 30 years so in terms of the the cost per wash you know, there's a big difference, isn't there? And I, and I think that's just not obvious to consumers and nobody's nobody's tracking it or making it easy to find that out. If you could see that manufacturer A, cost per wash, you know, it might be a more expensive machine, but the cost per wash, because it's going to last you 15 years, cost per wash is less than half. Manufacturer B with their cheaper upfront cost, then that helps you make a different decision. Absolutely. And I and think there's, that's key. And I think, you know, as citizens, we should be demanding more of this information. Mm. Um, help us. Yes. And you know, we, the only way that, that these manufacturers will provide that information or change the way we manufacture is as citizens, 
we contact them and we ask them for that information and that we demand it before making purchasing decisions. Mm. There is a movement called the right to repair. Mm. I'm not yeah. sure how much traction it's getting, but yes, I think, you know, my, my mission for rethink is to inspire people to both demand and create a circular economy, because if the citizens aren't demanding it, there's not as much incentive for people to change the systems that they're already operating. So Absolutely. We've, we've touched on the circular economy, but we've not talked about the recycled plastics in the in the fabric that you use. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about how you came across that in the first place and how you've integrated it into the business. Sure. So um, I was literally waiting for the, that development. I know it was coming along um, in terms of the fabric development. And what it is, it's a pan-European um, project, if you like, um, across a few different countries. So um, what happens is that ghost nets are retrieved from the oceans. And ghost nets are basically drift nets that are left behind accidentally by fishermen um they're really expensive nets they don't want to lose them but just in the normal process of fishing this is what happens they become um afloat in the ocean and unfortunately those nets just keep on fishing so they'll gradually fall to the bottom of the ocean and just um collect all of this marine life um along with it killing you know millions of animals um and not only that, they start leaching microfibers into the water. So it's really important we get those nets up. And how it's done is that uh, different groups of NGOs, like divers groups and fishermen's groups, will go out and retrieve those nets, bring them back onto land, where they're sent for reprocessing, so washing and then breaking down of the nets. Now, the nets themselves are made from nylon, a really strong nylon, which is what swimwear is made of, too. So after the pellets are formed from the, the fishing nets, they're extruded in, back into a fibre by way of heating up again and knitted down in Italy. And that's where we also um, dye it and print it ready for our swimwear and activewear pieces. Um, so it's a really lovely project and um, it's a bit of a win-win situation really um, for all sorts of you know wonderful reasons. Yeah, it sounds great. And how did you hear about it in the first place? Um, I don't know, I can't <laughs> remember. It was, <laughs> it was back, way back in... 2011 so it was a bit a bit misty in my memory yeah. but I, I I kept harassing them to release the fabric because I know it was in development and um we just you know I'm sure they got sick and tired of me harassing them but uh, eventually it was re released and we could start using it so yeah so you must have been really at the forefront of that movement you know there's there's lots of bigger companies using um, the same, yeah. the same yeah, kind we, of fabric now, but you must have been one of the, the really... Yeah, the, we, were, we were the first in the UK, so, um, yeah, brilliant. That's Absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. 
And I know that you're involved in the uh, circular economy locally with the Circular Economy Club uh, Brighton. Um, and Peter Desmond, who I work with, he'd introduced us. And I understand you you do quite a lot with them and you're doing, you, you support sustainable, uh, make fashion circular events. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so Circular Brighton Hope is a great group and they look at all sorts of uh, circular economy initiatives through all sorts of industries. Um, I've become involved with them more to do with circular fashion and the movement Make Fashion Circular um, because my passion is actually um, circular economy too. Obviously back in 2011 we didn't know we had a circular economy business um, because that phrase hadn't been coined Um, but I believe that circular economy is the future of fashion and the way we manufacture our clothing because we don't have the resources to keep um, to keep using virgin materials. We just simply don't. Um, and we could stop manufacturing clothing right now and use up whatever we have right now through circular economy by breaking down those fabrics again when they reach their real end of life, not just one wear, but real mm. end of life, and repurpose them again um, using very clever manufacturing techniques. And that's the way the industry needs to go. Um, So what we do is we try to um, arrange some events for people to learn about the circular economy and how it can be so brilliant, especially in terms of fashion and textiles. And we held an event at a hotel in Brighton, my hotel in June. And we're going to hold another one at the Hilton on the 16th of June. And the whole idea about those is that we have talks about fashion, talks about what minor changes and major changes people can make about their clothing. And then at the end, we have a brilliant clothes swap so that people can exchange, bring five or six pieces of their own clothing and then um, get five or six pieces of of new clothing and um, sort of, satisfy their itch for new outfits that way and we deliberately target younger uh younger women if we can because they're the fast fashion customer not always the fast fashion customer i mean sometimes you know the millennial movement the millennial uh consumer if you like hate that word uh is also really um engaged with the environmental impact also of their clothes purchasing Um, but generally what we're trying to do is focus on the fast fashion uh, consumer fast fashion girl if you like and we try to um, create behavior change and to see that you know sustainable fashion can be fun too you know going to clothes swaps um, having make amend events looking in your wardrobe and trying to create something new out of something old can be really social and really fun events and you can do it with your friends you can do it with people you don't know and it it is the way forward yes i agree i was listening to something um a couple of months ago on radio 4 where they were discussing the results from boohoo which is obviously aiming at fast fashion and lots of turnover 
and they interviewed Dr Patsy Perry from Manchester Uni and Hannah Carter of Love Not Landfill. And they were talking about different ways people could be creative. So if you want to do your Instagram selfie showing how you've got something individual, um, you know, you're wearing something individual and, and uh, distinctive, why do that? wearing something that you've just bought from the shops that lots of other people could also have mm. why not either customize something that you've already got or you know accessorize it in a different way or go and buy vintage because it's highly unlikely somebody's got the same thing and that can be a much more creative way to you know to to create your own look instead of it being something that somebody's already set out in front of you you know a, a retailer's already set out in front of you as this is the way that you should look that's not really being individual and I thought that was a really interesting way to perhaps get people thinking differently that you know this if I want to, to have my own look I can do it in a different way that's more creative but doesn't need to mean I've got to keep buying stuff and then only wearing it once hmm yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, the whole psychology um, around clothing needs to change. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I remember, you know, I'm sort of probably a similar age to you. Um, and, you know, we didn't have the resources um, to go out and buy a new outfit every week. We just didn't have the money. So, you know, skinny, skinny purple jeans came in and I certainly didn't have the money for those so I got my blue jeans and I took them in and I dyed them purple you know and but when I tell that to my children they think that is really really odd um because they've never had they've never thought about doing that for themselves you know so uh I think there has to be a cultural change there has to be we have to make it cool we have to make being sustainable cool yeah and and I think that will happen. And, you know, the whole Extinction Rebellion movement as well is, is you know, there's no fashion on a dead planet. So that's yeah. that's their, their quote. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping the youngsters will see that and make it cool to be individual, make it cool to make your own stuff. Yes. And I think you're right, Extinction Rebellion and the Youth Strike for Climate and the great work that uh, Greta Thunberg is doing to raise the profile of that it really does feel like we're approaching a tipping point so yes let's hope it accelerates from from here on Joe when we were talking before the show we were talking about the circular economy aspects of your business which are quite central to what you do perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about that sure so we have a um we obviously because we're reusing reusing the fishing nets that's a circular economy with materials but we also have a circular economy in terms of finance so when we sell our garments um, we use 100 of the percent of the net profit to re to invest in women and we we invest in women entrepreneurs through uh, a registered charity called lendwithcare.org and we choose women entrepreneurs online that we'd like to um, invest money with so that they can start their own businesses 
or or build their own business. And the reason that's important is that it's shown that women invest more in the important things such as housing, um, nutrition, education of their children. So the effect is very much community felt. But most important is that that woman becomes empowered because when you have an income in a developing uh, nation, when you have a steady income, people start taking notice of you in your community. And sometimes many of the women don't have rights even over their own children. But once they have economic wealth, people start to take notice of them and what they have to say. And that itself can be really, really empowering for a woman in her community. That's excellent. And and are you able to see how people's businesses and projects progress? Yes, yeah, so we follow the women um, after they've had a loan and we get sometimes get reports back about what their next stage is. Um, you know, if they've used the money to, to create something, um, what the effect of that is. Um, but what's really circular about this model is that once the loan is repaid to us, we are able again to use to reinvest that in another woman. So it's a very circular um, way of keeping the money going round and round and helping women as you know optimum amount of women that we can help. That's that's brilliant, and um, yeah, I'm sure lots of other people will be interested in that. So I'll put the links to Lend with Care on the website. And I think on your website, you've got a few of the stories of the projects that you've lent to as well. So yes, we've got lots of things on the blog. Um, we've got some beautiful photography by another social enterprise called Photo Document. Um, yeah, just wonderful photos of, of the women and their stories and, and their environments and what they do with the money and how they're working to sort of improve their economic um, life life really for them and their families and their communities brilliant in terms of the circular economy are there other, any other business examples that you like to use when you're talking to people about the circular economy um i love fairphone um because um it oh you've got one <laughs> um i I think that is obviously the future of electronics that we have to start to make things that we can re re you know repair and reuse and with all the different componentry and that is a prime example of forward thinking and we've just got to go there and we've got to go there as soon as possible. Yes, I've had the Fairphone for about uh four years now and i can testify that it is repairable with just a screwdriver because for whatever reason i seem to get through microphones faster than i should and, and i've looked on the forum and nobody else is complaining about microphones <laughs> so um maybe it's um uh you know we we own dogs so maybe there's bits of dust getting into it or something like that so um yeah the right to repair exactly <laughs> And is there anybody that you'd recommend as a future guest for the programme to inspire people to get into the circular economy? Um, I love what the work that Tech Take Back are doing um, locally here in Brighton. Uh, as you know, 
it's so impossible to um, technology um, in all its forms, whether it's wires and leads and designed obsolescence of, of tech products, including computers. There's nowhere to put them and we can't export them to third world countries anymore. Thank goodness. So um, Tech Take Back is a local group and they have very small pop-up shops where they collect um, tons and tons of tech, which is which is brilliant. And I would recommend you speak to Kat Fletcher. Oh yes, I've met I met Kat. Yeah, yeah she's brilliant. And or David Greenfield, um, and speak to those guys. Judy Greenfield is also involved and. They're doing an amazing job down here in Brighton. So that hopefully we can get the, those sort of initiatives more nationwide. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks for that. That sounds like a, a good example to follow up on. And Joe, how can people find out more about you and your business and other projects? So we have a website, obviously, and a Facebook page, uh, as well as Instagram. So it's all of those are generally at Ruby Moon Swim. And we're also on Twitter. And our website is rubymoon.org.uk. Great. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes. So, Joe, thank you very much for telling us about Ruby Moon and all the great stuff that you're doing. There's lots of brilliant aspects to the business and it's, you know, it's fantastic to hear that you were in at the start of things and you've been driven by deep-seated values to make fashion a better industry. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.